welcome to episode 246 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and Margaret Mizushima has been kind enough to make a return visit to the podcast to talk about Standing Dead, the eighth installment in her addictive Timber Creek canine mystery series. Welcome back, Margaret. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to visit with you. I think we should start at the beginning by talking about the title, uh, Standing okay. Dead. Uh, not long into the book, uh, Standing Dead takes on a more sinister meaning, but initially the term is used to describe something that's happening to the forests in Colorado surrounding Timber Creek. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and why the term perhaps stuck in your mind. Well, I discovered the term actually when it, I was watching a documentary and they were referring to the beet, the birch forests back east where many of the birch trees have died and they're left still standing and they called them standing dead. And I thought that's exactly what's happening in Colorado, only um, what's happening there is that the... Um, the beetle has moved in and has killed just great swaths of temp timber, just acres and acres of timber has been killed. And these trees cannot all be logged or harvested. And so they're just left standing dead. And um, that really went home to me and I thought, okay, I think that's a wonderful title for a book, Standing Dead, and all of my books need to have a gerundive phrase as their title. And so Standing Dead was just perfect. Um, and of course, if you're writing a murder mystery, there needs to be a dead person standing against one of those dead trees. And so that's how that all came about. Oh, the writer's mind. I where, know. Aren't we terrible? Where, especially crime fiction writers, where it goes with uh, even terms from a documentary. So congratulations. <laughs> it's an excellent title. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the whole gang is back. And this is primarily Maddie, Robo, and Cole, her, her veterinarian boyfriend. Um. They're back with one change. Uh, Maddie has ditched the last name of Cobb, which was the last name of the brothers who abducted her, her mother and brother, and take the name of her birth father, Douglas Ray. Although it's a little complicated, isn't it? It is. And in fact, that twist came about starting in book number four, Burning Ridge. And I knew that Maddie would not want to continue using the name Cobb. Um, and she didn't really discover her um, birth family until I believe a book, I think it was Hanging Falls, book six. And at that point I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to change Maddie's name. And thankfully, um, the series is called the Timber Creek Canine Series rather than the Maddie Cobb Series. And so that helped quite a bit. I know if I were in Maddie's shoes, 
I would not want to continue to use the name of the person who abducted me. So Maddie had to have a name change. And yes, she changed her name to Ray. And all of the staff at the sheriff's department were very supportive in that. And in fact, um, Sheriff McCoy gives her a name tag at the end of a book to let her know that, yes, now he's gotten her a name tag that has Deputy Maddie Ray, canine handler on it, rather than Deputy Maddie Cobb. I think it's also indicative of a sort of a psychological shift on Maddie's part as she works through um, the trauma. And this is something she's doing through the course of the whole series, the trauma of her early life of living with these, this man who she thought was her father and her, his brother, who she thought was her uncle, who were really dreadful human beings from, I mean, just the spawn of the devil. Yeah, she really needed to get away from that. And uh, yes, she has been working in counseling and I, I'm a big supporter of psychological counseling when people need it. And so I wanted to bring that into the series. Um, and I spoke with some of my um, consultants who are police officers and, you know, everyone said, you know, uh, it is absolutely fine for a law enforcement officer to seek counseling at any time. That does not mean that they're not fit for duty. So uh, especially if they're working through personal issues that have nothing to do with their law enforcement career. So um, yeah, I, I decided to give that to Maddie and to let her work through those issues. And yes, it's a big step for her to turn her back on those early days in her childhood and to move forward and take her birth father's name. This installment in the series is wrenched in an atmosphere of dread even more than the others. And I mean that in the best possible way for crime fiction. <laughs> and I thought that the notes, there were handwritten notes that were being left for Maddie and they were delightfully creepy touch. And, and once again, in the best way. Um, without getting too specific on the content of the notes, uh, because that would spoil it for the readers, I'd like you to talk about why you chose the idea of leaving notes, uh, a note is left in a, on a dead body who is tied to a tree, so he's a standing dead. Um, why you chose that as a method for moving the story forward? It's sort of unique. She's not getting voice messages. She's not getting texts. She's getting handwritten notes. That's unique. And, and like I said, very creepy in a great way. One of my inspirations is a friend and fellow Blackbird writer who, uh, her name is Sheila Lowe, and she is a handwriting analyst and has written mysteries. Um, you can find I've her on the website. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Sheila Lowe was really kind of inspirational for me. And I was able to consult with her and get information about the work she does in um, analyzing um, 
different handwriting uh, samples uh, for court and in a forensic type capacity. Um, and that was, to me, that was a, a new way I could go in these books. Um, I always have to have something for Maddie to do, something for Robo to do, and something for Cole Walker, the veterinarian, to do. So all three of those uh, individuals, including, we'll, we'll call Robo an individual. Absolutely. <laughs> All three of those individuals need to have clues that they can discover. And um, because Maddie's a canine handler rather than a detective, um, I needed for that clue to be fairly concrete and not something that she might go onto a computer and research um, that kind of thing because um, you know, I don't think it's very interesting to watch characters research on computers. Um, and so most of us mystery writers do, if if that happens, and I did use that in Striking yes. Range. Yes. If that happens, um, they have to be discovering and watching something pretty intense and something that keeps the reader occupied. Long way, long way to say, yes, uh, that was the reason I chose to go with a handwritten note in the pocket of the dead person, as well as uh, placed in other other places where Maddie uh, ends up with these notes. One of the most interesting parts of the books uh, for me, especially, are Cole Walker's storylines, and he's the vet, and how... He cares for his animal charges. And in the case of Standing Dead, uh, it's horses who have ingested tainted water, a cat who got into a poisonous plant, and a nursing dog and her puppies who had severe gastric distress. And I'll leave that to the imagination of the listeners. <laughs> and, and that was very tense because these are all lives that are important to the people who take care of them. Um, I never like to say the word owners. I I, I wonder who owns whom. Um, yes. I know my dog and cats own me. Yes, I've I've taken to saying they're human, right? <laughs> Just like we say our pet, right? I'm, I, and I'm one with that. The dog owns me. I'm okay with it. And I kept thinking, Cole is Maddie's boyfriend. Actually, her fiance at this point. So he's worried about her and he's responsible for the health of animals who mean a great deal to their humans. And so how does he bear up? How do you get into his head and write him um, to be such a real person? Because he's not a saint. He, he, he has moments of doubt and anger. And, and I'm curious how... Um, how a writer sort of wraps her arms around that because it's a very visceral sort of feeling. Um, I don't know exactly, but um, Cole Walker was inspired by my husband, Charlie, who um, is a retired veterinarian, but he practiced for um, over 40 years and we've been married for 41 years. He started his practice just shortly before we got married. Um, and so all of those 
um, examples of where coal is caring for animals just comes naturally from me observing my husband in all those years of taking care of animals. And what, you know, one of the things that comes across in veterinary medicine is these doctors love, love animals. And yet they are so capable of doing things for the animal's highest good that actually hurts. Um, they, you know, they use, they use sedatives and anesthesia and all those things to try to reduce the pain. Other procedures for the animals, um, both local and, um, you know, complete physical sedation. And yet the, these animals do wake up and just like a human who has undergone surgery, there's pain afterwards. And of course, there are pain medications to try to help these animals. But all of that comes into play. And I guess I'm always amazed because I myself, as a pet lover, I don't know that I could actually perform those procedures. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know. Um, because they can't tell you. You know, you and you can't explain to them when you wake up, your leg is going to hurt. And exactly. It, it, exactly. But I promise you, you know, it will get better. We're and, going to pin your leg, and and it's going to be better than it is right now, and and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, watching my husband uh, sedate or anesthetize an animal, and he's petting them to try to soothe them prior to the anesthesia and and just all of those things gosh it it um yeah so that that sort of feeds Cole Walker's character and I always think that what I did was kind of took my husband's personality and then enhanced all of his best qualities <laughs> and came up with Cole Walker um, but yes, you're right. Cole's personality type on the Enneagram, which I do love using the Enneagram to develop my characters, is called the boss. And so his, his primary focus is, I show my love through providing shelter and food and for these human beings that I'm responsible for. And it, I, it's not necessarily hugs and kisses. And so until his wife left him because he was a workaholic, um, he, he wasn't that active in raising their children. And of course that threw him into needing to be the primary parent. And so, yeah, he had a steep learning curve. But um, yes, Cole has a soft core, but yeah, sometimes he, you know, sometimes he kind of, it kind of does come across harsh and hard. You know, this was, uh, we should talk a little bit about the story. And the book opens with Maddie and her sister, Julia, who she discovered, was it in the previous book, in the seventh book? I think it was Hanging Falls that they, um, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure either. I I'm should know. Sure beyond tracking games. So I think it was in Hanging Falls. Hanging Falls had the theme of all different kinds of family. And I believe that's when 
um, they met each other. Maddie and her sister Julia, uh, Julia lives in San Diego where there is a detective investigating uh, the case of Douglas Ray's death. They travel to a small Mexican town where their mother lives, uh, which Maddie has visited the previous fall, only to find that uh, her, their mother and her husband Juan left town in a hurry. And this sets off alarm bells for Maddie and also gets the story going, I should say. And I've talked to a lot of writers about how they open their stories. And many have told me that moving a story around geographically helps the momentum. So was that the case with Standing Dead where you decided to take her out of um, the Colorado mountains, which I hesitate to call it a comfort zone because really bad stuff can happen to her there, but it's where she lives. So in that regard, her comfort zone and send her to Mexico with her sister, a place where she's has no jurisdiction as a law enforcement officer. She's not armed. She's just looking for her mother and relying on her Spanish. It gets the story going in a very interesting way. So I'll let you talk about it. Um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about how um, that moving moving geographically helps get the story going and, and that kind of thing. All I thought about was um, the fact that when Maddie went to go visit her mother in a previous book, her mother was very afraid that someone might have followed Maddie and someone might, might find her. And she was still very afraid of the people who killed her husband 30 years prior to that story. Um, and so I simply thought of putting Maddie in the position of going against her mother's wishes because her mother said, please don't come back. And so she's she's there with Julia, who Julia didn't get to go the other time to see their mother. And so Julia was not going to be left behind this time. And so she's she's there. And, and so I simply thought of the tension that that would provide for Maddie and hopefully the reader um, as Maddie moved into this unfamiliar territory, knowing that her mother did not want her to come there, knowing that she really needed to pay attention and make sure she wasn't being followed and, um, and the, all of that, and then to, to discover that her mother's gone and her fear um, that by golly, maybe she drew her father's killers to her mother the last time she visited. So that kind of, to me, was where I wanted to go with that part of the story. Well, it really created uh, an ominous tension. And, and of course, that's a very good thing for a crime fiction novel. Uh, Maddie then goes back to Colorado. And, and you know, what, what's interesting is there's still a threat, although in Maddie's head, she feels that uh, the threat is resolved. The man who abducted her is dead. Uh, and yes. the man who went to prison, John Cobb, has died in prison. It, it's sort of this one of these things of like, well, how can this still be going on? I mean, I can imagine for Maddie, it's it's 
It is, she's trying to do her job. She's trying to investigate the death of this man who she realizes is her stepfather. She's then investigating uh, the shooting, fortunately not death of somebody else, of a park ranger. And it it's all, it must be frustrating. And we talked about this in the last time I interviewed you about Maddie's frustration. So on her psychological scale, she's not a boss. What is she? Yeah, she she's an Enneagram um, number one, which is actually the per perfectionist, which I found fascinating when I was researching that because a lot of law enforcement officers are number ones. And, and a lot of that has to do with their sense of their needing to be justice in the world. And, um, and so that kind of matches the type eight, which Cole is. So that's something they kind of had in common. Um, but I think Maddie feels strongly that there is a right way to do things and a right way to get things done. And she doesn't necessarily hold that over other people um, because she's an introvert and a loner. And so she, but, but she holds this high standard over herself that she really needs to not make mistakes. She needs to do things well. She needs to do things perfectly. And I think so that's, to a certain extent, she needs to do things right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. And in a way, that is a, another, you know, thing that she and Cole have in common because their careers demand that, uh, too. They need to do things right now, both of them. And so I like to be able to play that up. Um, and yeah, you would think that maybe that would create some problems for a couple. But uh, in my experience with being married to a veterinarian for that long, we both needed to have our own thing because uh, otherwise I think you just kind of feel a little bit slighted and left out. And of course, we should talk about Robo because the kind of uh, dog he is and the kind of training he has received he's also sort of a type one he is yeah he is perfectionist he he uh both tracks and seeks and uh I would assume he protects as well so he's he is an all-purpose trained canine officer who fortunately right. wears a Kevlar vest I think that that's I think that's a wonderful thing that that our uh, dogs in law enforcement and the military now wear Kevlar vests. They certainly deserve yes. them. That's an interesting trio you have there <laughs> of inter <laughs> of perfection crossover. All of these uh, dogs that are are dual purpose dogs, which Robo is a dual purpose dog. He has been trained in patrol and he has been trained in narcotics detection. And part of his training for patrol is to track down fugitives and apprehend. I love that. It's kind of a euphemism for bite and hold. Grab them. <laughs> but, but yeah, Robo being a perfectionist doesn't bite and hold 
unless Maddie tells him to. And so she has that extra bonus of being able to use Robo for searching for lost people as well. There are some patrol dogs who they can't do that with. They're not, they're just too aggressive. Um, I was told by one handler that some of these patrol dogs they call land sharks because they are so aggressive that, um, you know, if they're on a track, they just expect to be able to bite at the end of that track. And so you're not going to be able to stop them. I did watch one trainer um, training to, uh, uh, it was a white German shepherd. I can still remember that, but the, he was training that dog to uh, divert before he bit. And he was uh, training him to respond to the command to leave that person alone before he took the bite, even after the handler gave the command to take the bite, training the dog to interrupt and not do the bite. Now, I went to some canine trials in Las Vegas. They're regional um, trials where the dogs get to come and compete and show their skills. There were many, 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 many dogs that bit the person in the bite suit and wouldn't even release their bite after the handler told them to release. They literally had to be choked off of the bite with a choke chain. So yes, to take Robo to this, this position of being so well-trained that he only does what Maddie tells him to do um, isn't unrealistic. The top dogs that I watched that day, they were all willing to arrest their bite if the handler told them to stop. Um, so it's not unrealistic, but you have to realize there's a huge variety of responsiveness to training in these dogs. And that probably is a personality type thing. So that's really astute of you to think of, of Robo as a type one of perfectionist. <laughs> I love it. I do love reading your books. And I I am one of those readers. I, I don't read cozy mysteries, so I I don't really read the, like to read a book where the dog is actually a detective. However, I am a big fan of Robert Cray's Maggie. Absolutely. I understand that uh, Jefferson Parker's new book features a, a dog uh, in it. And I'm actually about to read that one. Uh, okay. David Rosenfeld has a, a dog that's sort of cozy adjacent. Um, is there, is there a distinct subset of crime fiction fans who really, really like mysteries that feature dogs? Yes, there is a subset of readers that are looking for dog books and that these dogs are working dogs and not pets. So that's, that is becoming a subgenre in the mystery genre and um it it's amazing to me like i'll be down at tucson festival of books this weekend we leave tomorrow actually to go and um two of my panels are all about dog books so it 
yeah, readers are flocking like at Boucher Khan and Lef Left Coast Crime and now Tucson Festival of Books. They're flocking to um, these panel presentations where different authors have put working dogs in their books. We talked about how dread-soaked this story is, how it integrates Maddie's past and uh, you know, it, it eventually resolves. And we're not going to talk about that. Uh, Robo does live. So yes. Um, and he always will. <laughs> and he always will. <laughs> but can you give us a hint about what comes next? You know, he, she has really had a tough time of it in, in uh, looking into the background of, of her family and what happened 30 years before when she was two and can't really remember uh, with the death of her father and, and the investigations going on. Is she going to have some happiness maybe in the next book? Oh, she can't have too much happiness. She still has to have a conflict, but, but um, for readers who have followed this series, it, book eight standing dead is a pivotal episode in the series in that many of the the arc character the character arc questions are answered and um i did that on purpose because i felt very pressured my husband and i left our home of 41 years and moved across country this past year and during that time i was trying to write this book and and uh, get it out on time and everything. And I felt this pressure to perhaps end the series with book eight. But um, <laughs> but after talking to my publisher and my agent, I was convinced that I needed to sign a contract for book nine, which I did. Um, and Maddie's whole uh, purpose now is gonna be more looking towards the future rather than dealing with her past. And uh, I'm very excited about that turn in the series. And um, I'm excited about what's happening between Cole and Maddie too. Although there's gonna be some conflict there in book nine, yes. We look forward to that. Because <laughs> it, it really wouldn't work. be Maddie without conflict, so. <laughs> I know, I know. We have to have some, some, something to stress our characters out with. But um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, book nine is going to be another turn in the series, and and uh, it'll give us lots of fodder for future books if we want to continue to go with it. Well, I hope that you'll come back and talk to us about or talk to me. And speaking of Mysteries podcast about book nine, it is a very engaging series. And, and it's like I said, all of them have been tense, but Standing Dead took tension to a whole new level. So, Well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, thank you. I was definitely trying to, to hit that note. Um, and Standing Dead, uh, I found out yesterday, has been selected by Amazon editors as an editor's pick for the month of March. And so I'm very excited about that, too. This is the first time one of the books has been able to have that ribbon. So um, very excited about that. 
Well, congratulations. And of course, hopefully those who haven't been following the series will read it and go, oh my gosh, I've got to find out more about all these people and go back and read the first seven. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Margaret, for talking to me and taking the time to talk to me and sharing uh, as much as you can about Standing Dead without telling the whole story. And uh, I look forward to talking to you when the next book is out. Oh, I look forward to that too, Nancy. Thank you so much for the invitation, the future invitation. And thank you for uh, talking to me today. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.